This week, the Jobs and Skills Summit will take place in Canberra. Farmers, businesses, unions, they'll all be there to nut out solutions to our current predicament. Wage stagnation, worker shortages, job insecurity, low productivity and the gender pay gap. Former Liberal leader Professor John Hewson, let's begin with a brief overview. Is a summit like this worthwhile or, dare I ask, overdue? Well, yes, I think it's definitely overdue. I mean, one of the features of the previous government was its division. It created quite a lot of number of divisions in its, across civil society and the business community and the union movement and so on. I think it's important to bring people together based on mutual respect and to it's the engagement process that can perhaps be quite positive in terms of the development of ideas. Mate, unions are urging a return to collective bargaining for people yes. like aged care workers. Is that likely to improve wages for these people or is it a throwback to the 70s? Well, I'm a little nervous about that because uh, I think the the aim is to do industry-wide bargains. Uh, it's not just you know it be anyone who was in the caring sector probably thrown into the same basket. And uh, you, know, you can see the difficulties in some some parts uh, of Australia. The idea of enterprise bargaining was to move to the focus on the enterprise, which is the level at which the employment occurs, and to for the employees and employers to sit down yeah. and, and agree on a wage structure within the, the wage parameters that are set. And I always thought that made sense, but uh, unions are more interested in, in what might, they're calling industry-wide bargaining, and uh, it's a bit more difficult to implement, yeah. I think. The Council of Small Business are also interested in collective bargaining. Would it make life easier for small business? Uh, in some cases, I think small business have found it difficult to sit down with their employees and the union and negotiate a wage structure, some enterprise agreement. I don't think that's been a universal experience, but it has been a feature of some small businesses. I've been involved in a few of those negotiations myself, and they are a little awkward to get both sides to really yeah. understand the other side. Unemployment is at 50-year lows, but wages are stagnant. Why is that? Well, I think it's probably because productivity has collapsed. That's probably the most significant overarching reason that productivity has been so flat and uh, declining. Uh, you know, to sustainably increase wages, you do need to sustainably increase productivity. Yeah. So yeah. A, a central feature of this summit will have to be, will have to look at what's required by minister by minister, portfolio by portfolio, what would be required to, say, double our national productivity in the next few years or some some objective like that. And there's a lot we can, we know that needs to be done. Some of these skill issues are important to that, employment issues. Um, yep. I think tax reform, things like that are important as well. So it's a very big area to open up. I'm talking with former Liberal leader Professor John Hewson. So what should the Job Summit recommend to ensure wages growth? Well, I think uh, they need a national productivity strategy to come out of it. And uh, where all the groups that will be there will have a part to play in that. And I think that's important. The government can play, has to play a part, of course. And, um, you know, there's a lot of areas in which the government can uh, improve productivity, working conditions across the country. Um, we haven't had that much focus. A lot of the money that was spent, so for example, on infrastructure projects was done for political gain or perceived political gain, not not to stimulate jobs or growth as such. And uh, you can see, you know, the area, for, for example, a very big social need is affordable housing. I've been staggered that they haven't focused more on that. Yeah. Because yeah. economic and social yeah. benefits of that are significant. 
What about the gender pay gap, especially in the care economy? How can that be solved? Well, I think it just takes a commitment over time to work on, to recognise it and to work to eliminate it. You know, we've had some Royal Commission reports in the in the caring sector that have pointed out the difficulties of that sector. For example, aged care, that nurses, are, aged care workers are in short supply, they're underpaid, they're under-equipped, and they're poorly motivated. And um, you need, there's a lot to be done there. And of course, part of that has been the gender pay gap. And part of that has just been uh, the neglect of that sector by government over a very long period of time. Now, more Australians than ever rely on casual work. Um, does that need to change, mate? Well, there's a big push on in some sections of the community to, to eliminate casual work. The advantage of casual work used to be that you, you hired people by you know, price per hour sort of thing, yeah. but you didn't have to cover any additional costs like annual leave or sick leave and so on. And um, people chose that, uh, got a higher daily rate and a higher weekly pay than would otherwise have been the case. But the casualisation of the workforce became a real problem where there were a lot of casuals and now a lot of casuals would, would like the opportunity to become full-time workers. I think that was always there, but uh, there was always a hesitancy on the part of employers to make that transition yes. on their own. And, you know, it needs a framework, I think, to look at those sort of issues. And that's probably what can come out of the summit. Now, let's look at migration, mate. Is that a quick fix or a long-term solution? Well, it can be an element of both, I think. Uh, we uh, have looked to migration in the past for dealing with short-term skill shortages. And, um, you know, we've classic examples of the islanders that we've brought in from the Pacific who've um, been fruit pickers and, uh, and so on and allowing foreign students and uh, backpackers and so on to work a certain amount in this country to deal with the, those, those sort of fairly basic skill levels that are, that are missing. You see in the hospitality sector the shortage of, of, of restaurant staff, um, kitchen staff and so on has been an important part of the consequence of that. And talking about getting skills, there's also talk about subsidising apprentices. What's your view on that? Well, we've had a lot of money put into the apprenticeship movement over the last few years. It doesn't seem to have sustained an improvement in the overall skills. But maybe it was poorly directed, I don't yeah. know. But a lot of that, for example, went into the building sector Yet right now you've got a significant shortage of skills in the building yeah. sector. Um, it, it didn't go into areas like aged care, as you pointed out, yeah. uh, child care, all the caring sectors um, where the skills are, you know, are, are serious. the skills gap is very significant yeah. and, and the source of a lot of the problems that have been identified in those sectors. And how long do you reckon it might take for the ideas from the summit to flow through into real differences? Well, they've foreshadowed that they will have a white paper written by the Treasury pulling together some of the proposals of the of the summit in a broader context as to what can or should be done. You know, I was very disappointed that during the pandemic, I th thought we had a unique opportunity to do that, exactly that. Yeah. We had this recovery um, group that was formed by Morrison, but of course it was mostly his mates out of the gas sector and so on. Yeah. People were talking about a gas-led recovery and, you know, the opportunity was lost to think strategically at that point along these lines. Now we're waiting on this white paper. Well, these things do take time because they will collect submissions as well as what they've got from the summit, as well as the Treasury's own input from its own modelling and so on. And then that'll be a consultation process, I think, with the broader community as to what they'd recommend. Uh, and then the government's got to turn that into necessary legislation and so on. That can take many months, as you know. 
<laughs> yeah, you and I are getting a bit grey in the hair. I think we have to worry about that. It's going to happen in our lifetime. Now, one final question, John, and it's kind of a little off topic. The Treasurer has pointed out about 31% of the country is suffering long COVID, and this is driving up absenteeism. Is the country in denial about the ongoing economic cost to COVID? Yes, I think it's been um, there's been a lot of mixed messages on this. I got very annoyed back in December when there was a push to open up, let's open up everything, you know, give back freedom for Christmas. That worried me because I don't think people were really ready. Although the vaccination rate had picked up and uh, there were boosters being distributed and so on, I don't think people had full information about what was really involved. And certainly the, op- op- the significance of the problem of long COVID has been underestimated, ignored, I think. You're seeing a number of inter- international comments on this now, and it, it can have very significant effect. And it is causing, in terms of the workplace, people are just not wanting to turn up to work. They're still feeling crook, even though they're notionally over COVID. Yeah. And, um, and Australians are getting sick two or three times with COVID now, aren't they? That's right. It used to be said that you, if you'd had COVID once, you would be much more resistant to getting it again. Yeah. Whereas, in fact, the reinfection rate has been a big surprise to a lot of people because in these recent variants, it's been quite a significant reinfection rate. You know, I guess there's an issue as to whether the vaccines that have been distributed actually deal with the yeah. position so to deal with these what do you reckon, variants. So what do you reckon the economic cost is, mate? Well, I don't know. It's very large, though. We've seen a lot of people pulling back from going to work because they are ill. And, of course, that's increased the demand on our hospital system. A number of them have ended up in hospital. So you have, at a time where you've got skill shortages and worker shortages, you've actually got the pandemic, the lingering effects of the pandemic compounding that problem. On the other side, the employers are having trouble getting their supply chain yep. working. So in those circumstances, you know, those factors come together mean a very significant in economic costs, I think, in total. God bless you, John. Thanks so thanks, much thanks, for thanks, talking Bill. to us tonight. You've given us a lot to think about. Enjoy the week. <laughs>